Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know, rather than fighting the existing reality, why not create a new model that makes the existing reality obsolete? Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm gonna choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. My guest today helps you understand how your mind works so you can start achieving the results that you want. He helps you discover why you do what you do and why you may not be doing what you really want to do. This does something very important. It helps you find your true identity and maximize the vast landscape of capabilities that you have inside of you that you just haven't let out yet. He believes we've been brought up with a mistaken identity, a mental program or a paradigm that controls how your mind works. These beliefs, these values, these rules are often very limiting and they can hold you back from reaching your full potential. You see, after a very traumatic childhood filled with physical, emotional, and sexual abuse, he was able to beat the odds and find success in his own life, experiencing the type of freedom and relationships and abundance that we all strive for. And now he shares how he's able to break free from his own limiting beliefs to discover his true self. It starts with one of my favorite topics, mindset. And so today, we're going to dive deep into how we can master our mind so we can achieve nearly limitless potential. With that, I'm so, so delighted to welcome to the show, Doug Dane. Billy, how are you? Thanks for having me on. I'm excited about it. Great, man. I am too. I'm super excited. Let's dive in with the fun one. Tell me what you love or what inspires you about the great leader, Gandhi. One of the first books I read on, on mindset and success was Think and Grow Rich. And I was trying to discover the secret that the author mentions is, is in the book a hundred times. And it said, if you figure out the secret, you'll be swept on to riches. Well, I wanted to make some money because I was really struggling. And in the book, several times he talks about Gandhi's story. And at that time, I mean, I didn't know anything about Gandhi as a young man, a young person. I maybe heard the name and stuff. But there was one, there's one part in the book where he said he got 200 million minds to coalesce into a single idea. And that just really, those words just really moved me and inspired me. And even at that time, which was 23, 24 years old, late 80s, something about that inspired me because I felt pulled to something bigger. Now, I had no evidence of that whatsoever in my life, both in my past and my current situation. But that was it. And then recently, I've been listening to an audio book. And forgive me, I forget the author's name. I just listened to my car when I drive. And he tells a story about Gandhi's transformation of how he went from this, you know, uneducated, not so smart kid, you know, skipping school to becoming what he became and what he did. And so I just the idea that he got all these people to coalesce into a single idea. And I think 
we need to coalesce into some better ideas because the world is really struggling. And a lot mm. of people are struggling too. So. Yeah, it's a great point. And I think we could all learn from history and the great leaders throughout history and, and how they evolved or how they created a movement or in what ways can they inspire maybe some of the ways that we should respond to what we're presented in life today in modern society. And so your story, I am fascinated by it. I can only say that the experience you had, you'd have to be not human to not feel at a heart level for you. And at the same time, incredible, have an incredible amount of respect for what you've been able to do to live the life that you were born to live, despite the trauma, despite everything that happened. And today you actually reflect as your story being a gift. So I wondered if you could start with that. Why is your story a gift? And maybe for those who aren't familiar with your background and sort of what, what I'm alluding to in the trauma, give us a sense of what it was like to be Doug as a kid. Yeah, well, I'll just try to do the Cole's notes on, on the story. Six-month-old baby gets dropped into this violent alcoholic home. And of course, you know, my parents being alcoholics, they had their own struggles and, and they had a rough life growing up as well. So it's, it's perpetuating. So the first, you know, eight to 10 years of my life was you know, witness to a lot of violence. My, my dad was a, a philanderer. He was an alcoholic. He beat his wife. My mom suffered a lot of trauma from that, mental illness in the hospital, three rounds of, of shock treatments, alcoholic herself. She became very violent and dark. My dad quit drinking when we were, I guess we were 11 years old. And because the deal was if he didn't quit, he was arrested for assaulting my mom. If he didn't quit, he'd never see us again. And so that was the turning point for him. And he never did drink again. He came home and then my mom got really dark after coming back from the hospital and these shock treatments. So she developed some real mental issues. And we were witnessing this all the time. We, of course, were at the other end of a, a black leather belt that was a strap and, you know, just a lot of emotional abuse. Not that it was my parents' fault. I mean, they just, they were just doing what they were able to do with what they knew, but they certainly drilled a lot of stuff, at least into me. My brother's a different, has his own story. I won't tell his, but yeah, I just, I just really, really struggled. I grew up, it was odd because I knew that something was off track. I didn't know what the right track was, but something just didn't feel right. And I certainly didn't feel right about myself. And of course, you know, typical emotional effects of, of trauma and, and that kind of abuse and witnessing that kind of violence, you know, growing an alcoholic family is very common to take on the blame and the shame. And so I went looking for love because I wasn't getting it home. There was definitely no love in our house. And I went looking for it. And I was skipping school and, and hanging out downtown. And I Ended up uh, hanging around at this Radio Shack electronics store and met a man. He was the in a ring of pedophiles. It was five of them, and and they corralled about twenty three boys that we were aware of, and I was one of them. And so I was sexually abused for a couple of years at the hands of one of the the principal men. You know, it was odd because you know, obviously, as a thirteen year old through fifteen year old, physically it felt good, but emotionally it was disturbing. You just didn't know what the hell was going on. And that ended with my kidnapping at 15. Police arrive at my door when I come home. They interview me. They throw, you know, pictures and, and threats at me. And they just kind of leave me alone in the basement of my house, not talking to my dad and my brother. And I was just kind of left alone to try to figure it out. My mom was gone by this point. And so then, of course, naturally turned to drugs and alcohol. And that was my way of actually being popular because I was earning money. I always had jobs and I was able to pay for drugs. And that was a way to get my friends to hang around with me. And that just that carried on till I was 23. And the more the more stoned I got, the more paranoid I got, the more I questioned myself and doubted myself and lost myself. And then I, I was working in a factory and a guy that I knew met, he gave me that book, Think and Grow Rich. And I read it and something in me said, I got to get out of this factory job and I got to start a business. And so I did that. And then within a couple of years, went bankrupt, failed miserably, landed back on my feet. And then I, I met a guy, my most recent mentor, Bob Proctor, and I was at a seminar of his, and he was talking about why I couldn't earn money or why I couldn't succeed. And he talked about this idea of this paradigm, this mental program, and I obviously had a terrible mindset around money because I grew up in a poor family, and I was teased a lot by the rich kids. We went to school with the rich kids. My house was just one street inside the border of the rich kids' school. All my buddies went to the poor kids' school. And so we got teased. I didn't like them. I wanted what they had. 
but I didn't feel good about myself. And so I just, that was kind of the story. And that didn't come out until I was 39 years old. My second marriage fell apart. I, I wrecked it, went for counseling. And the counselor starts asking me some questions that had never been asked before. And all of a sudden, what I'm telling you now, this story starts to leak out. And she sends me on this investigation. I, I met police officers, detectives, children's aid, social workers, uh, teachers, family, friends, neighbors. And I pieced the story together and I went public with it in the newspaper here in Canada and was on television and um, in books. And people started going, how did you do it? And I couldn't tell you how I did it. I mean, I knew what I did, but I couldn't transfer it to you. And so I just wanted to embark on a journey to try to figure out, okay, how did I do it? Because I was able to release it all. So the reason I see it as a gift is because it got me to find out who I really am. I really believe that we're all placed here for a purpose. I believe there's our purposes inside of us. I don't think we have to go looking for it. We just have to look inside at ourselves. And I started looking at my story and my skill set and what I was really passionate about. And I was just really passionate about helping people. I started looking at the story and go, geez, if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't be here today with you. In my book, there's a part about the adoption. So I feel very grateful that I was adopted for a couple of reasons. One is it gives me perspective that I could have landed in any home. I mean, I landed in that house, but I could have landed in your home or another home. I could have grown up in a wealthy family. I could have grown up in a family of doctors. I could have grown up in a family of music. I could have grown up in any family, and I probably would have been like that family. And so it gives me perspective that I don't have to hold on to my story to define who I am. I can rewrite my story. And then secondly, and most importantly, is, is I saved a little boy's life. Something in me was able to beat the odds, as you called it, and survive and now thrive, where another little boy might not have made it. And so I'm, I'm very grateful. I just, I just look at the whole story as a gift because I get to do what I'm able to do now. So. And to your point, without that powerful backdrop and story, it would be a lot harder for you to make the kind of impact that you're making today because we're emotional beings. We connect with, to an emotional story. We connect, even if it's hard to hear, we connect at a heart level to what you're sharing. And I, I think it only further creates a stronger bond and connection to what you're saying and the ideas that you have. Because if you could go through the journey that you went through and land on the other end like you have and be able to help people in the way you have, it's inspiring. You have a quote that I love that, that you share. I don't know if it's your quote, but it was a quote that I read in doing some research for you. The average person tiptoes through life, hoping to make it safely to death. And one of the things that you said is you say we're kind of like pumpkins in a jar. And I wondered if you could talk about that. What does that mean? Why, why are we that way? And when, what does that mean exactly? Yeah, well, the story, the pumpkin in a jar story is a story about a farmer who, who poked a tiny pumpkin into a glass jar, and the pumpkin only grew to the exact size and shape of the jar. So we poke our, you know, the, I picked it up from a, another mentor, Earl Nightingale, and that was the story I heard from him. He said, we poke ourselves into these jars, or we're poked into jars when we're little. We started as imitations. We're programmed to you know, this is the language that we speak, and this is the food that we'd like, and this is what we believe, and this is what's right and wrong and good and bad. And then the people that are programming us, the parents, the teachers, they see us through their perception. They don't really know us. They get to know us, but they don't really know who we are because we're so unique and, and individual. But they poke us into these jars because it's a perception, like the shape of the jar comes from their perception. You know, also at the same time, there's a real dominant force that I think is just getting worse and worse as time goes on. And, you know, it's being fueled through, through social media and access to information is that is conformity and fear of criticism. So I know my parents, you know, in the, in the neighborhood we grew up in and the family they grew up in conformity, you know, it became almost a compulsion. Like you just didn't want to step outside of the, of the lines. And if you did, you were fearful of being criticized or what people would think of you. And so that's it. You, you call it, we're stuck in a box, we're, we're stuck in a jar, but we also poke ourselves in that same jar. Or we, you know, if you imagine yourself in the jar, Billy, looking out, you're looking around and you're thinking, I, I could go there and I could do that and I could be this. And it's like you're stuck in this, in this jar. And then 
you know, for me, it got very convenient to stay stuck in the jar because I had developed a victim mentality and I had a good story to back it up. And I had great excuses to explain away, you know, my own lack of achievement and not pursuing what was really on my heart or what I was, I was meant to do. And so I think we, we really got to stretch ourselves to, you know, follow your heart. You're being pulled forward to something anyway. You can ignore it. Sometimes the light flickers it's like those, those birthday candles that never go out. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and you can try to ignore as much as you can, but it's going to just keep drawing on and drawing on you and pulling on you. We're afraid. I'm afraid. Listen, I wrote this book and I'm on this podcast. I'm, I'm scared and excited all at the same time. I don't know why be buried in a jar when you could break out and really enjoy life and do something special because you are special. You have gifts. We just have to start using them, you know? Yeah. I mean, we are, almost all of us are raised in some kind of a box, right? And you've, you've said this and it's in the image of what our, and they may have the best intention of what our parents or whoever's bringing us up, what they believe we should be or who we should be. And so is this the reason that we have a mistaken identity? And then if it is, how do we break through? Like, I want to get into some some of the practical action steps that we can take to break through of what maybe is a mistaken identity to find our real identity. Yeah. Yeah. So I think just to back up again, I think we, I, I say most people struggle in life and they're stuck. They're stuck in a prison, sometimes of their own making. In my case, it was, it was caused by what other people did to me, but we're stuck in this prison. And I think it's a case of mistaken identity and the real villain is your upbringing, your programming, and maybe today the system that kind of keeps you, you stuck. And the key to your freedom really lies in, inside. Take a really close look at you know, who you are and what you are, and we can talk about you know, how you do that. But literally, this, this programming, again, it's, it's rules, values, beliefs, good, bad, right, wrong. And very early on, we're taught that if we're good, we get praise. And if we're bad, we get punished. In my case, I, I got hit. And so very early on, we just want to be loved and accepted and validated. And we want to know that we're okay. When you're little, you got a lot of questions running through your mind. And then around, I don't know, five or six, your intellect starts to develop. You start to go to school and you start challenging the parents. You start fighting back and pushing back because something's off track. Now, you don't have any power. You don't have any awareness. You don't really know what is the right track, but you push back. And then they they get you to conform and stay quiet. Otherwise, you know, you get punished and you don't get love. And then I don't know, 12, 13, 14, 15, it comes back again. Early 20s, it comes back again. Mid 40s, they call it a midlife crisis. It comes back again. And, you know, like that quote, we just kind of tiptoe through life, trying to make it safely to death. So I think that's the, the mistake I did. People just program us to be what they think we are and what we're not. And we believe them. We're told something about ourselves. Like I was, some of the things I was told about me, I mean, they were so buried in my subconscious. Some I remember, some I don't. But I grew up with a real poor attitude that there was something wrong with me. You know, there, there had to be something wrong with me. And so we get we get stuck into that. And you have the mistaken beliefs about yourself, limiting beliefs. Because you get the self-image that's literally imprinted on you early by the way that people treat you and react to you, you think that's you. And then so you carry on. And of course, naturally, you start behaving that way and you get reactions to the actions and you it just reinforces in what's called this beneficent cycle, meaning the cycle just continues for good or for bad. So if I have a positive self-image, it's beneficent. If I have a negative self-image or inferiority complex, it's beneficent, it just gets worse. And so it's this vicious cycle and we stay stuck. And so I just tell people, there's nothing really, there's nothing wrong with you. The only thing that's wrong is what you believe about yourself or about the way you should approach the world. One of the chapters is called Stop Shooting on Yourself because we, you should do this, Billy. You shouldn't do that. You should do this. And you shouldn't. We were should on a lot when we were kids. And so I think that's how it's formed. And we just kind of accept it and we go with it. And then, of course, you, you make these mistakes and you get evidence and go, see, Doug, I told you you were a piece of crap. You know, your parents told you you were a piece of crap. My mom used to call me a little devil because I was born on devil's <laughs> night. My brother was born the day before Valentine's. So he was the angel and I was the devil. And sure enough, I fulfilled that. You know, I, I got into a lot of trouble. And you just, you just go through life thinking that's who you are. Yeah. And, we, and to your point, you kind of seek confirmation. It's like confirmation bias. You seek the confirmation that what you 
think to be true is in fact true, even if it's actually not true. That's just mind-boggling to think that that's what we, we, we just, it's a perpetuating cycle. The other thing that is really interesting to me, I was, I was uh, binge watching your YouTube channel and one of the things that stood out was you talk about the fact that we as humans tend to think too far in advance and that we're naturally goal-seeking and so we don't live in the moment, we don't operate in the moment. Why is that something that you think is something we should look at and adjust? Well, what I learned, so I was, I was struggling. I was trying to get ahead, making all kinds of mistakes. And I, I was doing well in business. And I mean, I didn't go to school or anything like that, but I had some evidence that I was intelligent to some degree. I'm thinking something's not working here. I mean, I'm a bright enough guy to succeed here. I better figure what the heck's going on. And so as I started to look in more into the, the mindset, I was taught, you know, in business, you know, the typical stuff and goals and, and strategy and all these different things. I didn't really understand mindset. And if you started talking to me about it, I would have said, Billy, you're out to lunch. You know what the hell you're talking about. Hmm. I didn't know what I was talking about. I was just, I was ignorant. And so I started studying how your mind actually works and a phenomenal book that really was a turning point. It was called, um, it is called psycho cybernetics by maxwell maltz he was a doctor and back in the 50s and 60s they discovered that your mind is an automatic goal-seeking mechanism just like a torpedo or a missile and it directs your brain and your nervous system now i didn't know that but i'm reading i go geez this makes a lot of sense i figure all right if i got this and he said you're you're not a machine but you have a machine and i'm the operator i figure well if i'm operating the machine i better Friggin' figure out how it works. So I started studying how it worked, and one of the, the key principles on how the machine works, just like the you know the map on your phone, your GPS, it only works in the present moment if you're focused on the present moment. And so the idea is, and we're taught to worry about our future, and seventy percent of our worries never even come to fruition, and we're taught to look backwards on our past with guilt and resentment. So what I learned, I was suffering from anxiety and depression. And most of my anxiety came because I was so worried about the future. I had goals. I knew what I wanted to do, but I was so worried about, could I do it? How's it going to happen? And then of course, you know, I spent my life with guilt and resentment, looking back on my past with shame and regret. And so if you're looking backwards or you're worrying too far in the future, you're going to get in trouble. So the mind only operates in the present moment. Now, there's, listen, there's lots of great work out there. One of the books I got, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, I'm, I'm reading the book. I go, I don't know what he's talking about. We all talk about living the moment and you know operate today. There's a guy here today picking up a rug for cleaning. He said, you, you just got to gotta live today because I could be gone tomorrow. You know, he was just joking. And So our mind operates that way. And so if you're anxious like I was, what it means is you're worrying too far ahead into the future, trying to figure out how do I get to where I want to get to, or how do I fix my problems? And again, we were just taught to do that. We were taught to go, Billy, what do you think I should do? What do you think I should do? What do you think I should do? And we were taught to get opinions of others. We, we go ask people for advice and then they don't know what the hell they're talking about. So we learned to do that. And of course, when we were little, we watched our parents ruminating on the past as well. And if we made a mistake, They'd love to bring up past from mm. our past or mistakes from our past. Go, when you were seven, Doug, you da, da, da. and so we're just we're just taught that way. And so very few people understand how the mind actually works. It is a machine. Very few people know how it works, let alone how to teach it. But I figure, you know, I better find out how it works. And when I started to do that, I started to calm down and I started to relax. My skin used to be really red and blotchy, like really inflamed. So the more I started living in the moment, and in this book, he said, live in 24-hour blocks. And so I started practicing that. Like if something comes up for me now, and it's something that's going to happen tomorrow, I go, nope, I don't need to think about that. I don't have to worry about right now. So as I started to operate more with that rule, and I snap my fingers, go, nope, I'm not looking backwards. I'm only going forward. Nope, I'm not looking at the past with guilt or resentment. Nope, I'm not worrying about the future. And I would just use this physical anchor to correct myself. And then fairly quickly, I started to calm down and my skin started to clear. I sweat less, you know, and I just, I got more effective and more productive and more successful because my mind 
have this gift of creative imagination. And it only works if you're relaxed. So you can't solve problems when you're stressed out. Mm. Yeah. And the physio, it shows up physiologically, right? You're, you're, how you operate your mental factor of, of the way in which you show up and how it can help to either reduce anxiety, reduce stress, and all the different emotions and mental health factors that play into how we allow ourselves or, or frankly don't allow ourselves to show up in the way in which we, we should, it shows up outwardly, externally. The internal affects the external. As you were speaking, I was reminded of a quote from an interview that I did with David Meltzer. And he said, just because someone loves you doesn't mean they give you good advice. Right. <laughs> and he was yeah. talking about his family and his parents and they, all the advice they gave. And a lot of times yeah. it wasn't good advice, right? So just because someone loves you doesn't mean it's actually good advice. One of the things that, and by the way, we're going to go deep into the, to the mindset piece and you already got some real good nuggets there. So if you're listening right now, go rewind a couple minutes and listen to that again. That was gold right there. And what I'll say as we continue this conversation, one of the things that I love is when we take conventional wisdom and turn it on, on its head, or when we take what is a commonly held belief and we say, well, why may that not be the best thing? Like plan for the future and think of it as an example. You actually guide people to take the road less traveled. Why is that? Well, I'm just thinking about what we were just talking about a minute ago that, so just imagine this, most of us don't believe in ourselves. We doubt ourselves. We don't believe in ourselves because of maybe what we've been through or whatever. And so naturally, and sorry, and we're also taught to go ask people for their opinions and do all this research and all this stuff before we make actual decisions about what we want to do. And so it's no wonder that people are stressed out. Because if you don't believe in yourself and you second guess yourself, and then all you do is go ask everybody else for their opinion, and it's not going to line up. Like you don't have a good feeling about it, and you start feeling something's wrong. And what you do, what I did, is you think there's something wrong with you. Mm. You know, did you ever consider maybe there's nothing wrong with you at all? And maybe the only thing that's wrong is the way you were taught to go about you know, making these decisions in your life to do what it is you want to do. So I think that's a big problem. And again, you, you lap on this, this habit of, you know, conformity and then this outward fear of criticism. It's pretty difficult for people to move ahead. And then certainly these past couple of years, life has gotten hard for a lot of people, but I just want to, I love what you said. You know, we just kind of go the way that we go. We follow the masses. I mean, if I could just I know for sure now, I wasn't sure of it when I first thought I was sure of it because I was second guessing myself, but I now know for sure most people are struggling with anxiety, fear, doubt, depression, a lot of that stuff. They could take control of that if they just understood who they really were, how their mind operates, take control of that thinking and just follow a few simple rules. They would calm down and they relax. Everybody's going outside you know, try to find a way to feel better about themselves. You got to go inside. And so what you said about taking the road less traveled, or I love Buckminster Fuller's quote. He's the guy that invented the geodesic dome. And he said, you know, rather than fighting the existing reality, why not create a new model that makes the existing reality obsolete? Mm. So I'm just on a mission because I've discovered, at least for me and, and many people I've helped, that there's a simpler way. It's simpler. It's faster. It's not all that complicated, although I made it complicated for so long because I didn't believe in myself. And when I finally believed in myself and I had the science, I go, this is really simple. And so I just, I'm trying to disrupt. I want to disrupt the personal development industry. I want to disrupt the mental health industry. I am now at a point in my life, I know I'm supposed to go on this mission to get people to go down a different road because everybody's going that way. And, and my mentor said, Doug, if they're all going that way, there's a problem. <laughs> you should go the road less traveled. And so I started going down that road and going, actually, this was the right road. It's quiet, but it's the right road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You might not have as many uh, people around, but that's not a bad thing. No. Sometimes you, you need to weigh, why is it that everybody's doing the same thing, going the same direction? And often it's, it's for the wrong reasons. So you alluded to self-image in a earlier in our conversation. And I love frameworks. I love formulas. 
you have the self-image formula. I would love for you to dive in and talk a little bit about that. First off, you you, you got to get this straight. And whether you agree with me, with me or not, it doesn't really matter. Your self-image, so we've got this machine, as I mentioned, it operates by certain principles. And it's, it's a cybernetic mechanism. Another example you'd relate to would be your thermostat in your home. Okay. And so your thermostat regulates the environment. So the device, the machine is a thermostat. And inside the machine of the device is a program. And you set the program. And if you want it to be 72 or 68 or 74, you're in charge of that. Now, because it's pre-programmed, it just runs automatically. If, if it's cold outside and the doors open, cold air comes in, the thermostat comes on, furnace fires up, warms up the house. Well, that thermostat is run by a program. Our program that's running our machine, our device is our self-image. You can't outperform it. You can only go as far as you think you can go. But you got to remember the image you hold of yourself for most of us is based on lies or non-truths or this mistaken identity. So the first thing you got to get straight is number one, you have to accept the idea that and, and understand it and not don't take my word for it. I mean, you can spend years like I did trying to find it out, but you could, you know, you could take my word for it that the self-image is regulating everything. So if you can agree to that, great, that's step one. Step two is then you have to understand that you can't change your self-image unless you see that the image you hold of yourself is based on something that's not true. So what I went through, what I was told I was and I wasn't was all a bunch of lies, but I believed it. And you can't create a new self-image unless it's based on some form of truth. So the, the truth is, or the lie is that you have this mistaken identity. You're capable of way much more than you are doing right now. You know you're pulled towards more. You know you can do it. You're not doing it, but you know that you can be doing it. And that's the truth, or that's the lie you're operating with these limiting beliefs. And so then what we got to do is how do we get to the truth? I get people talk about, you know, act as if and act like the person you want to become and, and fake it till you make it. I don't believe in faking it till you make it. There's a connotation to faking. I think the key is just find out what you're passionate about. Go to your heart and just ask yourself, you know, what do I care about? You know, what do I love to do? What's important to me? What's the, you know, what's the hill that I want to take? What's the, what's the wrong that I want to right in the world? Gandhi, he got latched onto a, a wrong that one he wanted to right. Indians in, in South Africa were being mistreated, treated poorly, and, and in India as well. That's, he latched onto that. So you just find out, just ask yourself, what do you really want? What do you, who do you want to be? And if you ask yourself that question and, and just and keep asking it. I didn't like asking that in the beginning. I mean, what do I really, really want? That's a big question. I kept asking it, kept asking it, kept asking it. And then if you ask, you know, ideas start to come out. And they're inspired ideas. You know, you you get a buzz, you get a rush, you know, you you weep, you know, with passion or emotion. Oh, I just want to do this. And you got to start to pay attention to that. And you got to realize that if you want to do something or you want to be something or you want to change something, you wouldn't want that unless you already were that person. That's what you got to get straight. You wouldn't want something unless you already were that person. You don't believe that you're that person because you're locked into this mistaken identity. So that's the clue. What do you want to do? How do you want to change the world? What moves your heart? You already are that person. And then there's just some steps you take to kind of uncover that. And one more thing, I think too many people spend too much time trying to fix themselves. I spent years in therapy and counseling and, and books and shelf help, and all this stuff going, what the hell's wrong with me? And I kept asking myself, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And I found out I never got an answer because there's nothing wrong with me. And so rather than trying to fix everything, I just started to pay attention to what I wanted. And I go, what sort of person would somebody be if they were doing that? What would they think? What would they believe? How would they act? How would they dress? So we, we just got to get connected to our heart. Mm. If you can do that, then the door opens. But remember, your cellmate, your other self, your false self, your ego, he's walking around with a yapping away. You can't do that, Doug. You're an idiot. You're a piece of crap. What do you think you're thinking? Writing a book. Come on. You don't know what the hell you're talking. 
and I could, and it never leaves. But if you get stronger in the belief of who you really are, he starts to get a little quiet. It's like uh, remember Fred Flintstone with the angel <laughs> <and> the devil. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, it's kind of like that. Right. I, I had a guest that called it the beast, the beast in your head that it always is there. It's, it's sometimes you could turn down the volume, but it's going to be there. It's, you're not going to completely eliminate it, but you can't ignore it. You can't ignore it. And you can choose to not let that beast or devil or whatever we want to call it, alter ego, whatever that, that voice in your head that's saying why you can't, shouldn't do something. It's doing it to protect you. It's doing it because it thinks it's going to keep you out of harm's way. It's going to, in some way, make your life less stressful or not in any way causing you harm or risk. We're no longer threatened by wild animals. We're no longer threatened by all the things that probably early man was threatened by, yet we still have this antiquated, in, in a lot of ways, safeguard built in to allow us to avoid those potential th hazards. And so self-image is a fascinating thing to dissect. And you have a success formula. Again, I go back to the formulas. I'm, I'm a sucker for formulas. You say in, in to guide yourself to success, one, you need to have clearly defined goals. Two, you need to be able to make decisions quickly. Three, which we just talked about, is you need to have a healthy self-image. And four, you need to have the discipline to develop good habits. And so rather than go into every one of those, I want to go into goals we already talked about self-image and I want to talk about habits and how to develop good habits. So let's, let's pause on habits. Let's first go to goals. One thing that you don't agree with is smart goals. So how should we think about goals and why are you maybe not a, as big of a fan of smart goals as the general masses? Well, you know, smart. So if you don't know smart goals, I grew up in business and it's specific, measurable, attainable realistic and time bound. I like the S and the M and the T attainable and realistic. I think that that limits us. Now it's okay to have those kinds of goals, but that keeps us within the framework of our current self image. And it doesn't bring us a lot of satisfaction because we have this, just this God given gifts and talents and desires placed in our heart. That's pulling us. I think it was Zig Ziglar. No, Jim Rohn. I was reading a book, Jim Rohn. He said, he said it's a real bugger, you know. He said, because um, you know you're capable of more, but you don't go after more. And then you give yourself a hard time that you don't, you know. <laughs> so what the kind of goals you want to pursue are, are the goals that are really on your on your heart, not the safe goals. It, listen, I have safe goals for sure. You know, we have I have little goals, smart goals to get to the big goal. I always relate it to you know, climbing Mount Ever. So that would be you know, that's not a very smart goal for most of us. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I've never climbed a mountain, but uh, be probably pretty risky. Right. And I love studying people and reading about people that have done it. And so somebody Mount Everest, that's a monstrous, scary type goal. It's exciting. It scares you all at the same time. It really draws something out of you. Now to get there, I have to set some smart goals. I was reading a book by a climber here. He's in New York. And so he talked about the benchmark goals. He had to, he had to train, he had to raise the money. So it's okay to have smart goals or like benchmark or short-term goals that get to the big goal. But if you don't go after the big goals, you're not going to satisfy that desire inside of you. You can have a comfortable life. You can have a very nice life, but trust me, you're going to, you're going to feel that regret. And I think the other thing is if you don't go after what you really want, you're selling yourself short and it, it causes an internal conflict. I think one of the reasons we don't feel so good about ourselves because we're living with this internal conflict. We're creating the conflict ourselves by minimizing ourselves and, and shying away from these gifts and talents. And so, mm -hmm. and again, as we said earlier, this mind, it is goal seeking. It, it requires a target. So if you get up in the morning and you have a goal, you're just wandering around aimlessly in this machine. It's a scanner. It's scanning all the time, looking at, where it should give its attention, and it's directed by your thinking. So if you're thinking, poor me, or my poor life, or I'm worried about my job, or I'm worried about my money, I'm worried about my relationship, whatever, that's whatever you give it attention to, that's where it goes, and it just it points you down that road. So we should supply it with a target that we really, really want, because that, that gives you energy. I remember my mentor, Bob 
Proctor. He said, uh, so let me ask a question. He goes, you know, Bob, I, I don't have a lot of energy, you know? And Bob's answer was just this. He goes, energy comes from desire. Mm. And if you don't have any energy, it's because you're not pursuing something that's giving you energy. You're, you don't have a reason to get out of bed in the morning that fires you up, that lights you up, that fills your heart. And you don't have to live that way. Most people won't. But if you do, man, oh man, it's just a better way to live. You're just, you feel alive. Yeah. Yeah. And it's to, to your point, you're, you're confining yourself if you say, okay, this has to be put within a band of being realistic and mm-hmm. not, not allowing yourself to explore something that's a stretch goal or something that's even further than you might even be able to imagine yourself at the point where you set that goal. And so let's now talk about the fourth ingredient, which is the discipline. And I love the word discipline in there, the discipline to develop good habits. So let's dive in there. Why, why is that so important? And also I'm curious what your thoughts are on the, the mental mindset implications of why habits are so important. Well, first off, just fundamentally, human nature, we're habitual. So if we're habitual, we probably should operate properly habitually. We have to get it straight that pretty much all of our habits are learned. And discipline is simply the ability to give yourself a command and then follow it. So if you want to form new habits, your willpower is not going to cut it. I mean, this time of year, of course, everybody's talking about willpower and and habits and you know there's books out there on best-selling books on habits and all this stuff and everybody wants to form better habits because they're not happy with the results what i learned to do and i was the same as everybody else what i learned to do was actually i just started giving myself an affirmation or a command verbally and in writing and i started reprogramming my subconscious so you mentioned earlier the knowing doing gap at the beginning of the show so we know what to do we know what we should do and we shouldn't do. I know I shouldn't drink that much. I know I shouldn't eat that. I know, I know I should go to the gym. And so we know what to do, but that happens at the intellectual part of our mind. And that's where the willpower also resides. But the doing comes at the subconscious, the automatic part of the mechanism is at the subconscious level. So if you just, you know, write a New Year's resolution and try to keep it, it's not going to stick. And then the problem is, you get frustrated with yourself and you start giving yourself a hard time that you couldn't make it stick. And so just like when we were little, that's how simple it is. Just when we were little, you just start programming yourself with a new command or a new affirmation. Just like when we were little, go brush your teeth. Did you brush your teeth up? Go brush your teeth. Go brush your teeth. I don't have to think to brush my teeth. I just brush it. And so that's the starting point. And we just start to give us these simple commands. And so what I now do, if I want to form a habit, I don't actually try to do anything. All I do is I reprogram the subconscious first. I change my mind first and I actually, the habit just starts to follow. Now, a lot of people don't get that. A lot of people have a hard time believing that it's that simple, but it is. And if you study the subconscious, you'll know that's exactly how it works. So discipline is the ability to give yourself a command and follow. So it's two parts. I got to give myself the command first, and then I attempt to keep the command. And there's a great quote by Emerson. He said, you know, of what used to make heroic vows of amendment, if the same old lawbreaker is to keep them. So if I keep making these heroic resolutions and amendments to change my habits, if it's the same old guy making the promises, it's the same old guy that's going to break the promises. So we got to change the inside. And trust me, the outside just starts to follow. And that's really the trick to it. Mm. Every just the outside in, it doesn't last. Yeah. And then they fail and they give themselves a hard time. Plus, when we were little, one more quick thing. When you were little, if you didn't go brush your teeth, you got in trouble. You weren't praised <laughs> when you tried to form habits. You were punished when you couldn't form habits. And so we have a negative association to habit forming. Yeah, it's so interesting too, because you know, we do need to train our subconscious. It's a great example, though, the the brushing teeth. We I think everybody could relate to that because it is something that most of us grew up having, I mean, I, my son is a great example. I have an 11 year old every night. He's, he goes to brush his teeth. It's the habit that's built. So what does this yeah. look like in practice? Like today, how are you, give us some examples of ways in which you've built habits or trained your subconscious. Are you outwardly 
saying do this and giving yourself a verbal instruction or do you do it mentally? Do you write it out? What does that look like? Yeah, I do a few things. So this is my, I have a journal that I, I take with me every day. And so there's a few things I do. First thing I do is I sit down and I, I write out my goal in the present tense as if I've already achieved it because the mind, the way it operates, the, the torpedo, the torpedo has to believe the ship is out there. And so I write my goal as if I've already achieved the goal because the mind seeks a target. And then what I do is I write out, you know, now that I've achieved the goal and my wish is fulfilled, I describe how I feel, how I feel that I did it and how I feel about myself. So I, I, I basically write what I call some I am statements. I make these statements of the sort of person I am now that I've achieved the goal and I only work on one or two habits at a time. Drop the list. I mean, it, you're wasting your time making lists of habits you're going to change. If you want to make the list, but then just grab one off the list, maybe two at a time. And what I do is I, I have what I call a one-line affirmation. So it, the affirmation of the command has to fit on one line of an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And then I write out the command, the affirmation. You use what's called self-suggestion until it becomes auto-suggestion. And so the more you know, your son now is probably auto-suggesting to himself to go brush his teeth or to remember. But in the beginning, you had to self or suggest to him. And so I just, I just, I write it. There's a funny story. I lost 20 pounds on an affirmation. I had an affirmation. I live in a healthy body. I'm at my perfect weight. I live in a healthy body. And so I, I was writing it and I recorded it. I just kept listening over and over and over. And then after a couple of months, and I wasn't even paying any attention. People go, have you lost weight? I go, no. Have you lost weight? No. I didn't change my diet. I, I wasn't going to the gym. I was just doing what I always did. And then one night I'm at a party and somebody goes, did you lose weight? I happened to go to the spare bathroom and there was a scale there. I don't have a scale at home. I step on the scale and sure as heck, I lost 20 pounds. And then the next week I was in my favorite restaurant and Abe, who serves me all the time, he goes, do you want the usual, which was, you know, glass of red wine, steak frites? I go, no, nah, I think I'll have a quinoa salad and a Perrier. And he just looked at me and I was, I was shocked. I didn't consciously make these choices, the choices just started to change automatically. And um, it's not something I made up. It's just something I discovered. It's been around for hundreds of years. But, you know, we just don't think that's true. Or we want the fast route, the easy route. We want the instant route. You know, it doesn't work that way. Mm. It does work pretty quickly if you stick with it. We do. We live habitually. And if we're able to create the habits and create the mechanism to allow those habits to be immersed in our actions and daily activities, there's nothing that we can't accomplish. The mind, let's let's go into the, the mind a bit more because I'm curious, a lot of people don't take the time to understand our mind, which is mind, which is mind-boggling, pardon the pun. It's yeah. mind-boggling that people don't take the time. If you were going to like shake somebody and say, hey, you, you need to know this, you need to know these three things, what would those three things, four things, whatever it may be, what would be those things that, you know, maybe something that we haven't covered yet about the mind that, and about mindset that people either don't know, or you want to make sure that they should know? Well, the first thing, if I was really quick with something, though, the first thing I'd ask, we go, are you happy with your results? Yes or no? No excuses, no stories. It's a yes or no. All right. No? All right. So would you agree your way is not working? Yes or no? Yes or no? Yeah, I agree. Okay. So I want to get them clear that they're, what they were taught isn't serving them. And then I just want people to understand that your mind is a machine. You, you got to get straight and you got to provide your mind with a target. And if you have any doubts about what it is that you want, it just simply means you have doubts about yourself that's causing you to second guess yourself about what it is that you really want. So I just, I just want people to get it straight in their head that if they doubt themselves or they don't believe in themselves, it's because they believe things about themselves that aren't true. Park that for a minute and go, just tell me, what do you really, really want? If you couldn't fail, right, what would you do? You were engineered for success by your creator. What would you do if there was no fear of failure or fear of what other people would think? Well, and then they start to entertain the ideas. And that's the starting point. I, I just got to get it straight in your head that the only reason you're not thriving 
and you're barely surviving is because you're locked into a story and a picture about yourself that just is not true. And if I can get you to see that first, then I can show you how to do it. Because if your mind's not open, you can't accept new ideas. You just can't, no matter how badly you want to change. If you're not open to new ideas, your mind is not open. And so then mindset, people go, are we talking about mindset, 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 mindset? Well, what I said that I do in the morning, I set my mind each day. Each day, I got to reset my mind on that target, why I want it, who I am, because that other guy and everybody else around me wants to talk me out of it. Mm. And so we have to set our mind every single day. It's not, mindset is an action. It's not a thing. I mean, it is, but you've got this machine and it operates like this map. You just, you got to tell it where you want to go and keep your eye on the target and keep moving towards it. How do you do that? How do you set your mind every day? Walk us through the, the steps. Well, like I said earlier, that it's it starts with, so first thing in the morning when I wake up, first thing I do, I, I grab my phone. And first thing is I, I get connected to God. So I didn't really believe in God or didn't even know who God was. And I got introduced to him. I thought, hmm, this guy might know what he's talking about. And so I spent a bit of time, a little devotional, and that that just calms me right away. And then on my phone, on my I, my notepad, I used to have it on a piece of paper and writing. It's on my phone. And I have a written description of me as if I'm already the person that I want to be. And so right now, you know, my goal is this book. I'm so happy and grateful now that I'm an international best-selling author. And this book is changing lives all around the world. That's the goal. And so I get up every morning and I read that statement. And then I get up and I get some fresh air. And then I sit down with my book and my journal. I, I write that statement again. And then I look at, I write out what I said earlier about how I feel now that I've done it. And then what I do is to operate the mind properly to set my mind. So there's, there's focusing on the target, but then I have to ask myself, okay, what am I doing today? Just today. What can I do today to move towards the goal? I don't worry about next week or next month. I, I see the future ahead of me, but I'm just trying to figure out what can I do today? Because I may not be here tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I can walk out. I'm downtown Manhattan. Or I can walk out and boom, I'm gone, hit by a car, right? I just try to focus on today and try to come up with, so here's my little post-it note. There's my seven things, right? Usually I come up with six or seven items. And these are the only things I focus on today. Nothing else. That's it. And so that's setting my mind on the target for today. And then I just drive and I just enjoy the drive. And I look in the mirror once in a while. Maybe I look behind me to gather some information, keep my eye on the road. I just let my mind direct me and call out the directions as I drive, just like my GPS does on my phone. And if you listen and you pay attention and you relax, you will get ideas. Mm. Super powerful. Well, listen, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and I want to end with my last question and then we'll talk a little bit about where people can find you, talk about your book and make sure everybody knows all of that. Before we do, you say, and I love this, that you don't find your purpose, your purpose finds you, discovers you. Why is that? Well, I, I got to give credit. I can't remember the author, but I was searching for my, my calling and so there's a book, I think it's called Callings. If you Google it, you'll probably find it. And I don't remember the book other than the one single thing that I took from the book was that you don't, you don't have to go looking for your calling. Your calling finds you or your purpose finds you. And so I tell my friends when they're searching for the love of their life, I go, if you're, if you're busy out there searching online and on dates trying to find the love of your life, they can't find you because you're moving all, all around, you know? And so... What I find is that what I found was if I just sat back and I asked myself some really good questions, I call it Google your mind. Your mind is this amazing machine. And if you pose really good questions to your creative imagination and you're in a relaxed state, you get some pretty good answers. And so I just started asking myself some questions. What do I, what do I really, really want? What's important to me? How do I want to be known as? If there's a wrong in the world that I could write, what would that be? And I just started, kept asking the questions. Rather than, I don't know, 
panicking and freaking about what I needed to do today, I spent more time thinking and listening and a lot less time doing. And if you if you can just stop for a little bit and think and ask yourself some questions, you'll you'll get the answers. And I think the other, it's revealed in the way people see you. So I mean, you know, Billy, if I asked, you know, 20 people that knew you or had met you, they would have a perspective on you. And they generally when people around you for a little bit, they start to see your gifts. They start to see your authentic you because you can't hide it really. You can mask it, but you can't really hide it. And it starts to show and people start telling you, you know, you're, I remember when I first started discovering this, you know, my mentor, Bob, I called him. I said, Bob, I said, people keep telling me I have a gift. He goes, you, you, you do have a gift, Doug. I go, I, I do. He goes, yeah, because everybody's got a gift. He said, the difference is you're using yours. And so you just, you start to listen to other people, not their opinions, but They'll say stuff about you, and it just resonates with you. Now, you're probably not comfortable with it. We're not very good with compliments here. You know, I wasn't very comfortable receiving these, these, these words, but it, it resonated. It, like it felt true. And the truth always feels good, and a lie always feels bad. So start paying attention to what people see in you. And I was lucky. I had somebody that believed in me until I believed in, in myself. And I think if you just start paying attention and asking and listening, You'll get clues. And then again, back to what I said earlier, if you want to do something, you are that person. If you can latch onto that idea, just enough to take one action step today, just do one thing, make a phone call, send an email, do a video, do something. And then law of cause and effect takes over. You get an act, take an action and you get a reaction. You move towards it and it moves towards you. Yes. I love that you brought that up. That was another thing that I had on my list that we didn't cover, but the action reaction piece. So Doug, thank you so much. I am thrilled to have had you as a guest. For those who want more inspiration, his book, Mistaken Identity is coming out, inspired by his childhood and the steps that he took to overcome all of the things that he faced and to lead the life that he leads today, helping people and coaching people. And in his book, he talks about his personal experiences and pairs that with actionable guidance that helps to give readers the ability to move beyond perhaps their own guilt or their own shame. He includes exercises and interactive elements and really paints a pathway for people to have the freedom they deserve, have the life they deserve. He includes 30 life lessons on how you can start your own journey. If you had a, a traumatic past, if you had something that kept you from being the person that you know you want to be, that you know you're capable of being, but you haven't yet made it happen, this book will help you on that path. You can also go check out more at DougDane.com. You could go check him out and check out his YouTube channel. Doug Dane Coaching is the handle. You can find him on LinkedIn at Doug Dane as the handle there and also leadyourself.ca. Doug, what did I miss? Where else can people learn more from you? Now, that's the easiest way. Just, I mean, you just type in, in Doug Dane, D-A-N-E, and you'll find me on social and, or go to dougdane.com and there's more about me. My story is there. The book is there. And yeah, I just, uh, I'm just on a mission to get people to believe in themselves so they feel better about themselves so they can do better in the world and help others do the same. So you type in Doug Dane and, and you'll find me. I appreciate this time, Billy. I really do. It's been fun. Thank you. Absolutely. And, and one of the things you talk about is this idea of psychic income. Mm -hmm. And I love this concept because it's clear to me that you're doing this because you care deeply about how it can impact other people. Yes. That to me is what life's all about. Yeah. You know, we all need money and that that's part of it. But the, far greater income we can get is the income we get when we help other people. And you're doing that. Thank you so much for being on Inside Out. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. 
You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.